The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out of here. A grand slam home run. And this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another week of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we talk about the Cleveland Indians who are slowly losing their lead in the American League Central Division. The Detroit Tigers and Kansas City Royals are starting to breathe down their necks. And the Cincinnati Reds, who are quietly putting together one of the best second halves in Major League Baseball this season. We'll talk about that and more coming up on tonight's show. But first of all, we've got to go down south and bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you for this week? I am great, Dave, and uh, I, I do. I, I can I can see it in the papers, but more importantly, I can hear it in your voice, David. You you panic. you're looking over your shoulder, and in a metaphoric way, you're seeing Kansas City in the rearview mirror. And I, I want to talk about that tonight, and I, I want to get your taste on this, your take on this. And I want to try as best I can to ease your concerns because I think I, the Indians are going to hold on, and that way you will not have to jump off a bridge in Cleveland. I think uh, you were correct earlier. That was a Freudian slip about my taste on things because right now the <laughs> Indians are driving people in Cleveland to drink. And th- this is something that ha- it has started about – a month ago, and it has slowly and continually deteriorated to the point where this team, I think, is really starting to feel the pressure, Mark. But like you said, we're, we're going to get into that here in a second. But before we get into everything, I have a public service announcement for everyone. Wow. And that public service announcement would be, never, even if you do it on a dare, buy a Hewlett-Packard product, an HP product. Don't do it. Run away from it as quickly as possible. Not just because Carly Fiorina practically ran the company into bankruptcy, but they have this thing, Mark, with their printers called the Printer Ink System, where you can sign up for their, their printer ink. Once you do that, they take control of your printer, and you no longer have control of it. And they will send you ink cartridge after ink cartridge, and you'll pay for it. And then when you can't use them anymore, if you if you discontinue the use of this printer ink program that they have, you can't use those cartridges anymore, even if you purchase them. You can't use them because they have seized control of your printer. So that's my public service announcement for tonight. Never, ever buy a Hewlett-Packard program. Never buy a Hewlett-Packard package on anything, even an instrument. That's my public service announcement for tonight. Thank you very much. 
Well, David, I, I will not do that. I, I was going to. I was going to go tomorrow, and I was going to buy Hewlett Packard. In fact, I was going to buy Hewlett Packard stock, and I was going to buy a lot of it. I, I mean, maybe a couple million dollars because I had that kind of money. But I'm not now. I'm going to I'm going to do something else with it. I'll invest in something else. And I want to thank you for saving me, obviously, a lot of heartache and obviously a lot of money. I, I feel so much better now that I've gotten that off of my chest. Just, just <laughs> a lot better. Mark, a very important thing I think happened this week. Let's get back into the baseball realm. You know, Michael Lorenzen, this was a very tough week for him. And I, I put something on my Facebook page that I, I saw somebody that had posted what he did last week after his father passed away. And I think really that entire situation, I'll let you go into a little bit more detail about it since it is is a red situation. But I, I really think that epitomized what the beauty of the game of baseball is all about. Yeah, I think I saw that replayed. I heard it on, on the radio, and I, I wasn't paying that much of a t- attention to it because he was coming up, uh, you know, as a pitcher coming up, what could he do? And on the first pitch, he drives the ball to right center field. And from a baseball perspective, don't forget this guy, the Reds almost drafted him as an outfielder. He, he's that good a hitter. But, yeah, what what he did with his father dying and, uh, coming up there and hitting a three-run home run, it, it it really was very emotional, and it got everybody's attention down here. You know, I mean, and it, it moved the team, Mark. I mean, Brian Price showed some emotion after the game about it, but I think the the biggest thing is, well, first of all, we've got we've got a replay uh, here. Let let's go to the tape and listen to the the call of his home run that night. Do the forty-man roster in two thousand thirteen and made the big leagues in fourteen. Lorenzo with a shot to right field, carrying well, home run, Michael Lorenzen, first pitch he sees here in the bottom of the seventh, and it is nine to one Reds, first career home run for Lorenzen, boy a very emotional trip around the bases for Michael Lorenzen. Fans wanting to come out for a curtain call. Mark, I think uh, the crowd knew what had happened before the play-by-play announcer for the Reds, Chris Welch, even knew what happened prior to the play-by-play announcer realizing what was going on. But, you know, with all of that, that was his first game back after leaving, after being put on the bereavement list with his father passing away suddenly. And from what I understand, he and his father were extremely close. And his dad came to a lot of games in Cincinnati and, and stayed with him a lot. And, of course, it was a, a sudden sudden death for his father, and, and it caught everybody by surprise. But, you know, when he did that and crossed home plate and looked up to the skies... And he was all right for what I watched, going through the dugout and getting high fives from everybody, until he got to the Reds' backup catcher, Cabrera, whom I understand those two have been together now for the last couple of years and become best friends. And once he and Cabrera was the very last guy in the dugout that he saw, 
and they gave a hug to each other, and Lorenzen started to cry, and I think that's when everybody realized just how much that meant to him. Yeah, sometimes <clears throat> when something like it happens, being with your teammates, uh, it, it's it's different. It, it, it's probably the best <clears throat> best position to be in uh, playing sports, being with 25 of your best friends rather than being alone at, at a time like that. Um, so th- that that was very emotional, and uh, uh, I'm glad for him that he was able to do something like that that he'll never forget and, and, and make that moment, uh, uh, dedicate that moment to his father. You know, to me, that's just one of those things that makes baseball the game that it, it is. It's just, uh, you know, that's just one of those special moments. Mark, the Indians come into tonight's action. They're in a nothing-nothing game against the Minnesota Twins, a, a team that they have really had trouble beating this year. They're going into the bottom of the seventh. It's a scoreless tie, but heading into tonight, the Indians have a 73-56 and 56 record on the year. They are still in first place. They're four and a half games up on Detroit. They're six games up on Kansas City. Detroit is getting beat tonight. At last look, it was two to one against the Chicago White Sox. But the Indians are really in a tailspin, Mark. They've lost five of their last six. And on that seven-game road trip that they just finished up this this past week uh, in Oakland and in Texas, Mark, they only scored 16 runs in seven games on this road trip. And 12 of the runs came on Saturday night in that 12-1 to route of Texas. They only scored three runs in Oakland in three games, and one of them was a one-to-nothing victory behind Carlos Carrasco. This team is not hitting the baseball. They're not getting the big hits like they were early in the year. They're not getting the two-out base hits. This team is has been playing from behind so much, and the pressure has been mounting on them, Mark, inning after inning, after game, after game. And I'm not sure that this team, I'm almost afraid that this team, Mark, is going to is going to choke. A four-and-a-half game lead with a month to go is practically nothing. Well, again, I think uh, every team goes through this, and you know, they're coming into September. They're going to have plenty of time to right the ship. Uh, they still have a four-and-a-half game lead. I don't know if it's five games in the loss column or four. But that's that's a pretty good lead. And how many games do they have against Kansas City and Detroit the rest of the year? Do you remember? They've got they've got seven games against Kansas City, six against Detroit, and though they play those two, they play Detroit, the last three games at home, and then the last weekend they play a three game set at Kansas City. Well, of those two teams, if I were you, I'd be more concerned about Kansas City. Uh, that team could. It, They've proven they can win. They can they can play under pressure, and when you won the World Series, it's amazing how much pressure that takes off of you. And so going into the uh, the final month of the season, and of course you play a couple of games in, in October, but by and large they the, what, they have like 35 games left, 34 games left. Uh, that that's that's a pretty sizable lead. Can it be overtaken? Of course it can. But if you look at it this way, if they just play 500 ball, it's going to require uh, Kansas City to play 620 ball or something like that, and Detroit probably 600 ball. So 
Uh, in Kansas City, they'll probably play Detroit. Uh, there'll be some games there that they'll knock each other off. So when it's in the same division like that, a four-game lead is a pretty big lead. And it doesn't include what they would have. I have not looked at the standings, but they might have a chance for the two playoff spots You know, if they don't win the division. Well, they definitely would have a chance at the wild card spots. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. But, you know, over the years, and, and you've seen this as much as I have, maybe a little bit more, but when a team loses a big lead, it's normally because the pitching goes bad or the offense goes bad. In the Indians' part right now, it's been both. The pitchers, the starting pitchers especially, have been giving up home runs in the first inning. And right away, especially on this road trip in Oakland and in Texas, Mark, uh, not so much in Tex in Oakland, I'm sorry, but in Texas, the Indians were falling down early in the first inning, anywhere from three to nothing to five to nothing in the three games that they lost. Matter of fact, that Sunday game, which was a two to one Texas victory, ironically, out of the seven games that these teams played, which Texas took five of the seven on the season series. That was the closest game that these two teams have played. There, there's never been a game that was closer than three runs up until Sunday, and that was the one-run game, the two-to-one game. So that was that was kind of an oddity between these two ball clubs. But, you know, the Indians right now, they just don't seem to be doing anything right. When they get a well-pitched game like they did yesterday behind Salazar, they can't hit the ball. They're getting a well-pitched game tonight behind Trevor Bauer and Andrew Miller came in and pitched the seventh inning, and it's a nothing-nothing game. They can't get any runs across. And normally one thing goes bad, but right now the Indians are looking at that offense being bad. David, think back to uh, spring training. Remember spring training? Uh, barely. That was that was well, six months were, ago, Mark. What, I can't even remember yesterday. <clears throat> If you were sitting in the snow in Cleveland during spring training, as you probably were, and somebody said, hey, Dave, here's a deal. I'll give you the Indians going into September with a four-game lead. Would you take it? Absolutely. The answer is yes. The answer is yes, you would take it. So I think it's a little early to get um, that apoplectic about it in terms of their ability to hold on. And they have enough games with the, the teams chasing them that let's say they lost their four-game lead. They're still going to have a chance to, to come back and win. The pressure is clearly on Detroit and Kansas City. So I would look at it that way, and uh, <clears throat> I think with Cleveland's pitching, they're going to avoid any kind of long-term losing streak. They might lose three, four, five games in a row, but that that team is too good. It's too solid. Uh, again, if I had my choice, I, I'd pick Cleveland to win that division. I picked Cleveland to, to win the first round of the playoffs, no matter who they play. And I really like Cleveland if they can get into the series. Into a seven-game series, Cleveland, I think, is a team to beat. Uh, might there be some sleepless nights coming up? Possibly. But I think the Indians are in pretty good shape. Well, and another thing, too, uh, the Indians will have a day off on Thursday. And I think they desperately need a day off, Mark, because on Thursday, that will be their 23rd consecutive day. Actually, on Wednesday, will be their 23rd consecutive day of playing games. I, I think they probably need a day off. 
Yeah, there's pressure on everybody, but this is also, I don't care, they, they call it the dog days, and it certainly is. If you've played baseball, these guys are tired at this point. Everybody's sore, and they've been grinding it out, and, and now Cleveland, what, 73 and 56, something like that. Uh, the last 10 games, they're 4-6. and six. That's not awful. Uh, they've only lost two in a row, so I think it's a little early to be that concerned about it. Uh, they've got a five-game lead in the loss column. So that's, you know, Dave, that's that's not bad. <clears throat> Is a seven-game lead better? Yeah, sure. Uh, but <laughs> I like uh, Cleveland's chances. I mean, in two weeks, if it's down to, you know, Cleveland trailing by a game, then I think you might have something to worry about. Well, how about the Reds? Homer Bailey yesterday had the shortest outing he's had since he came back from the Tommy John surgery. He pitched only one inning, and afterwards there were some reports of bicep soreness. Mark, anything to worry about in Reds' camp about Homer Bailey? Yeah, I think there's a lot to worry about. Uh, he was His fastball was 89-90 to 90 yesterday, and uh, I'm afraid that there's there's every possibility. I wouldn't say it's 50-50. But the Reds have to be worried about his his career. Don't forget, he had two arm surgeries the last two years, and uh, that's not easy to recover from. And you know, it looks to me that Homer is almost frail. I saw him pitch yesterday, and he's as thin as I have seen him look. And you know, think back to the guys that that are really good pitchers, Dave, the Tom Seavers and uh, the Robin Roberts and Roger Clemens, those guys have long-term careers because they had a certain body type. And they're strong, big legs, big butt, thick shoulders, and, and that's not Homer Bailey. And I, I wish he would bulk up. I, I think he would protect himself more if he had some more muscle around his, his legs, his butt, his shoulders. And I hope he comes back 10, 20 pounds heavier next year because I think it would take the pressure off his arm. Yesterday, he was throwing all arm. He wasn't driving the ball. He wasn't finishing his pitches. It, to me, it looked like he was just letting go uh, before his delivery was done. And I, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was seeing uh, a slider, and it was his fastball going 89, 90 miles an hour. And he's, he's normally 95, 96. He goes to 97, 98 sometimes. So there's something wrong with his arm. Now, is it? Fatigue because he, he came back too soon. He didn't do the right kind of rehab. Who knows? But he's had two major surgeries. And right now, uh, the Reds have to be concerned that they've signed a guy uh, two years ago to a $100 million contract. And it's yet to be proven he's going to be able to pitch at all. Are, is it his mechanics, Mark, or is he... Just arm weary. I don't think it's just mechanics. I, I th- to me, it was simply arm strength, and he didn't have any drive off, off his right leg as he as he came off the rubber. And when, when you if you pitched, it's that last six or eight inches when you let go of the ball that you drive through it and you drive down and it sinks the ball. And he wasn't doing that. He was letting go. He wasn't following through with his normal power. And I've seen him pitch where he, he can be as intimidating as anybody in baseball. And that was, he wasn't even close to that yesterday. So because he wasn't throwing his fastball for strikes and he was afraid to throw it over the plate, uh, he was going to the slider and the, and the split, uh, and he was getting hammered. And, 
not only was that his worst outing this year, that was his worst outing ever. He's never come out in the first inning. So <clears throat> there is a lot to be worried about with Homer Bailey. I, I had predicted that if he had pitched well, uh, in these last three or four starts, he would have been traded. But now nobody's going to touch him with a 10-foot pole, and uh, the Reds are stuck with that contract for a long time. Well, what are the plans now in Reds land? Are they going to give him an MRI? Are they waiting a couple of days to decide what to do? What's the plan? I have not seen anything about the plan, as it were. Uh, I know the um, they have an extra day off, I think, this week, and so they might skip a start and you know let him throw in the bullpen and see if he can regain some of his strength and and all that. But I, I don't think they're going to rush him out there again anytime soon, and maybe hurt him and he's gone again next year. I mean, if I, if I was the Reds organization. Uh, I would, I might let him throw in relief sometime, but I wouldn't put him out there and let him get pounded. Number one, uh, ruin his confidence, uh, but see if he can build up that arm strength and, and and not not hurt him. Or the alternative is is to shut him down, which is probably the smarter thing to do. Well, the Reds today activated Alfredo Simon because of this off the disabled list, and they optioned reliever Josh Smith to AAA Louisville. Now. That would almost further back up your thought, Mark, that they would just shut Homer Bailey down for the rest of the year because, you know, even though Simon has thrown out of the bullpen a few times this year for the Reds, he's primarily a starter. Yeah, he is. And, uh, yeah, there's been nothing I have seen down here with regard to uh, Homer Bailey, but uh, I think the Reds would be foolhardy to put him out there in September for what? What's he going to prove? The Reds aren't going anywhere. Uh, most they can finish is fourth in a five-team division. Uh, I think they're going to avoid losing 100 games, which which is a real victory. But uh, you know, you have to look toward next year and the year after. And in that regard, I think the Reds would be smart to consider, unless he he determines it's just an inflammation or something, or the doctors do. But why would you risk a hundred million dollar player on on the rest of the month when it doesn't matter? Well, you know, you, you've got a point there. Mark, you know, at the top of the show I said that the Reds are playing some of the best baseball in Major League Baseball in the second half. The, the only teams that have really outperformed the Reds, and one of them is the Los Angeles Dodgers, who have overtaken the Giants for first place in the National League West. But, Mark, more importantly... In my mind, let, let's talk a little bit about the status of manager Brian Price. You know, I, I think it behooves the Reds to just put an end to all the speculation on whether Price is going to be back next year. And, and quite honestly, the thought around Cincinnati, from what I understand and listening to some shows around Cincinnati Talk Radio, is that nobody expects the Reds to contend until 2018 anyway. Well, that's next year. I don't think it would be a bad idea to at least re-sign Brian Price for next year, but if I'm Brian Price's agent, I think I've got to ask for a two-year agreement. What What are your thoughts on whether or not Brian Price, first of all, has earned the opportunity to come back again next year? And if so, what kind of an extension do you think the Reds should sign him to? I think two years would be appropriate, but let me put this caveat in there. Right now, if the season were to end today, I think they would give him a two-year contract. 
uh, I think this last month of September is going to be very important in Brian Price's career with the Reds. If he can keep this team playing the way they played, if they can finish over 500 in the second half of the year, and I think they're four games over or five games over right now in the second half, uh, yeah, I think he deserves. He, he's kept he kept the team together during a time where they, they were floundering as badly as any team in baseball, and all of a sudden, you know, they they start they turned it around, started playing good ball, and it's all because of the pitching. They're, they're, they were getting some good bullpen help, and now with Homer Bailey down, who knows what's going to happen with the pitching staff? But uh, if he can if he can guide this team to a plus five hundred record. Uh, in the second half of this year, I think he deserves to be back, and I think he will be. You know, Joey Votto has kind of slowed down in this past week, too, but him slowing down is not necessarily newsworthy, considering the last two months he's hit over 400. Yeah, right now Joey Votto is hitting, and these numbers are not off the chart, but put him in perspective. He's hitting 309. He's got, he scored 82 runs. He's got 25 doubles, 21 home runs, 76 RBIs, 94 bases on ball, and he has a 432 on base percentage. I mean, uh, those numbers are, are very, very good numbers, but when you look at what he has done in July and August, uh, it's absolutely astonishing what he's done. And every day I, I see him play every game, and he drives pitchers nuts because he never gives up in a bat. He makes these guys throw to him 8, 10, 12 pitches, and then he'll put one in the right field seats. Uh, it's, it's not impossible that his line this year is going to be something like 315, 100 RBIs, 30 home runs, 30 doubles, 175 hits, and probably 125 bases on balls, and he's probably going to have an on-base percentage of 430. I mean, those numbers are MVP numbers. And if he points, if if he continues to do what he's doing, even in August, uh, he's going to have numbers that will get him some MVP votes on a last-place team. Where I think in June 30th or something, he was hitting 228 or 222, 222. I mean, what he's done is is remarkable in the second half. And I'm anxious to see what he does uh, in September. But uh, right now, he he reminds me of Pete Rose. You know, he's just such a tough out. And anything you – if you throw him a strike down the middle of the plate, he'll either hit it over the left field fence or he'll pull it to right field. I mean, how, how do you defense against that? The answer is you don't. But there's a couple other guys I want to point out today looking at the Reds, there's there's things settling with the Reds, Dave. They, things are coming into relief in terms of what's going to happen next year. And one thing I think has really come into relief is the outfield. Uh, they got Scott Shebler, uh, Billy Hamilton, and Adam Duvall. I think that's going to be your opening day outfield. You've got Joey Vado at first. You've got Cozart at short or... You've got um, uh, Peraza, Peraza short, and if you bring back Devin Mezzarocco behind the plate, you know all of a sudden that offense looks pretty damn good. The defense is good, so everything relies on the pitching. Now, this year, a lot of us thought this was going to be the year for Robert Stevenson, but he really has had a horrible season, 
And I think the Reds are getting fed up with Robert Stevenson. And I, I, I'd never heard a AAA manager blast a player. <laughs> like I was going to bring that, that up. <clears throat> I mean, he blasted Stevenson. Delino DeShields, the, the Louisville manager. Yeah. That's right. And uh, I could not believe what I heard, and I was so glad to hear it. Uh, I think more of that is, is needed in baseball. But uh, for those who, who didn't hear it, uh, Stevenson had another lackluster performance, to say the least. And Delino DeShields, his manager, came out and said, look, if you want to be in the big leagues, you got to show up. You can't mail it in and think you're an all-star and think you're going to be a, a next great thing and, and, and believe you're going to be called up to the big leagues. That's not going to happen. And, and uh, Brian Price echoed that and said, uh, you know, he, he didn't deserve to be brought up. So uh, good for the Reds. Okay, all right. Uh, let, uh, let me play devil's advocate here with two things that you just said. First of all, you and I disagree that Devin Mesoraco can come back to the Reds and be a catcher. He has proven over the last three years, Mark, that if he's a catcher, he's going to get hurt and he's out. I, there's no way the Reds can bring him back as a catcher. That's the first thing. The no, second thing Hold is... On, all right, Hold go ahead. On right there. I said if he can come back. I didn't say he would come back. Okay. If he could come back, imagine what that bat would mean to the existing lineup. I, I, that's where you and I differ. I think... Well, maybe not differ to the differ to the extent uh, of what what many people may think. I just don't think they can even consider bringing Mezzarocco back as a catcher. Well, if they can't, they've got to trade him to the American League. And what could you get story. for him? Could you get a good pitcher for him? Uh, I don't think you can unless he proves he can play. I mean, he, he last year he came back and tried to hit. He, he hit under two hundred. And uh, hit 140 in, in limited games he played for the Reds. He played in 16 games, so that, that's certainly not a sample size uh, to, to judge anything. Did not hit home. He hit uh, no home runs this year, so that's two years in a row he hasn't really played. So right. I don't know how you prove his value unless you catch him. And if you're saying he can't catch, that seems like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then. Yep, I, I agree with you there. Secondly. And and I I really don't have a a concrete feeling about this. But Robert Stevenson, when he's come up to the major leagues this year, he's pitched well, right? Yes. Okay. You know, for the last two years, Mark, I have complained about the Cleveland Indians and the way that they handle some of the young players, shipping them up, shipping them down, up, down, all the time, uh, not giving the, you know, these kids come up and they prove that they belong at the major league level and the Indians find whatever reason it is. And Tyler Naquin was the big one. You know, Francisco Lindor, they waited and waited and waited to bring him up and then look what they've got when they finally brought him up. Uh, you know, there are other players that they've done this back and forth with. You know, Robert Stevenson may be of the mindset, and I know you're gonna come off with this, you know, he's gotta be stronger and I tend to agree with you. But you know what? He's come up to the major leagues and he's pitched better at his time at the major league level than a lot of the pitchers that the Reds have had this year throughout the season. And that kid comes up, pitches well, they send him down, and he's got to be thinking, what the heck do I have to do? That's my yeah, point. Yeah, I do disagree on that. I, I, think, I don't think he was ready. 
when he came up. He, did, he was 2-0, and I'll give you that. Uh, he had a uh, batting average against of 200. Gave up a couple home runs, but certainly numbers that, that comparatively uh, are, are, were favorable compared to the other pitchers the Reds had. But he's, he's supposed to be a starting pitcher. He's supposed to be a dominant pitcher. And what I heard is he, he, won't, he won't listen, that he won't work on his arm slot. He, he hangs a lot of fastballs. He got hammered in AAA. The last I heard, I think his ERA was 4.77. And, and part of that is if you can't win down there and dominate, they're not going to bring you up. And I think it's an attitude thing, and, and I, again, this is all rumor. I don't know if this is true or not. But they want to make sure that his kind of attitude, where he's lackadaisical, doesn't rub off on the other players, and then he's rewarded by bringing, bringing him up to the major leagues. So you could be right. Maybe if he had stayed all year with the Reds, he would have pitched better than what, what they had, which wouldn't take much but in the first <laughs> half anyway. But uh, obviously the Reds organization and Delano De Shields particularly, who manages the guy day to day, they see something in his makeup that uh, indicates that, that he should not be on this roster. Well, and, and I tend to agree with the way that he has acted at the minor league level since his last emotion uh, led Delano De Shields to come out with what it is that he said. I, I have no problems with what Delano DeShield said. But my my whole philosophy is, and, and maybe it's the wrong philosophy, I don't know, but it's it's the Tim Tebow philosophy, Mark. Tim Tebow, all he did in the NFL was win. But he didn't win the right way. He didn't win the way that some of the owners and some of the players in the NFL feel that you need to win like. Well, Robert Stevenson came up and was successful. And what did he get for it? They sent him down to the minor leagues. When does it become, you know, why is it that you've got to have the proper attitude, the proper way to win? Yeah, he was supposed to be dominant. Well, maybe he isn't going to be as dominant as the scouts originally thought because heavens knows the three left-handers that Walt Jockety went out and got for Johnny Cueto aren't the pitchers that he thought they were going to be. So Evans knows he's been wrong before. He'll be wrong again. And yeah, maybe Robert Stevenson is a different type of pitcher. Well, first of all, being 2-0 is not a sample size that you can rely on on a pitcher being ready for the big leagues. There's a lot of things that go into that. And so I'm not hung up on this 2-0 record. But I, but I'm I, not hung up on it, but he pitched well. He, he, yes, he, he pitched well. Uh, but statistics alone aren't indicative of how somebody's throwing. You, you know, you could have a guy who, who gives up only three runs in a game in seven innings, but he's been, you know, line drives have been spanked all over the ballpark. So he, he got lucky. Now, I'm not saying Stevenson got lucky, but I wouldn't, again, get hung up on what's happened with with Stevenson in AAA or, or even with the Reds. So th- there's a lot more that goes into it. I think you have to give management some a break. They're with the guy every day, and they're seeing something that they don't like. And, you know, whatever that is, I don't know, but Delano DeShields certainly let him have it with both barrels, and uh, that, that's not uh, that's not to be discounted when the manager says something like that. And I, I loved it. I loved what Delano DeShields said. Mark, I'm literally getting emails 
about Hewlett Packard. What? what I said right off the bat. <laughs> Linda Jordan's one of them that I got. Uh, what? She says she's got a Hewlett Packard laptop. Well, she shouldn't even be listening to the show then. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, agree. She probably bought it because crap. Fiorina owned the company. Yeah, and you know, she's a stalker anyway, so what, what do we care what she does? <laughs> Mark, I want to get your opinion on something that was, was said, I heard earlier tonight. If I told you the Indians pitching staff was last in the American League in hit batsmen, what would that say to you? That they hit more batters than anybody else. No, they, they haven't hit as many batters as anyone else. Oh, well, they're last like in the I American said, League and hit batsmen. Well, it means they're not pitching inside. Exactly. Steve Stone, the Chicago White Sox announcer, longtime Chicago Cubs announcer with Harry Carey, and he could barely get a word in edgewise with Harry. But I always enjoyed listening to, to Steve Stone, and I, I still do. And one of the things that he said in an interview that I heard was that the Indians pitchers in his opinion, do not pitch enough inside. And that means the hitters can crowd the plate and really extend their arms on the outside pitches. And he feels that's the reason that they will not go very far in the playoffs because they don't have the capabilities of pitching inside very much. Uh, would you agree with that kind of assessment? Well, I agree with it generally speaking that if you're afraid to pitch inside and hitters can dig in on you and not be afraid that you're going to be coming up and in, yeah, I mean, they can reach out over the plate, they can, they can take everything to right field, or they can just, you know, wail on the pitch down the middle. So, yeah, you got to come in, you got to take him, take him off the plate. But there are other ways to do that where you're not going to injure life and limb. You can come in, uh, if you're a left-hand pitcher, come inside, Put that breaking ball on their back foot. Uh, you can get them off the, off the plate just throwing at their feet, if nothing else, make them back up. Uh, but the high and tight pitch is still the pitch of destiny. Uh, I don't care who you are. Uh, if a guy's throwing 90, 95 miles an hour, he comes up around your shoulders or your head, even if it's not at your head, it's just head level. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this, Dave. I, I've been at the plate when the guy's throwing 92, 93, and you can hear the ball. I mean, you can hear it mm-hmm. hissing hissing at the plate and so that does get your attention so i i read or i heard that your mind it'll freeze a pitch the last pitch you've seen it will freeze it in your brain so that's the pitch your mind's seeing on the next pitch so there is something to the fact even physically that if a guy throws 95 high and tight your mind is thinking, okay, the next pitch is going to be high and tight at 95. So you, you just intuitively you don't lean over the plate. So you don't have to hit a guy in the head, but you do have to pitch inside. And if you're going to miss, you want to miss inside. If you, if you have a backdoor breaking ball or a, a, a force, a two-seamer or a four-seamer that you, that you can move off the plate, the guy's not going to do much with that if you can control it. If you can move it in, you throw it right over the plate, and then let it move three or four inches to the inside. All he can do is foul it off or hit it on the handle. He's not going to do much with that pitch. The problem is if that thing doesn't move and you're throwing it right down the middle, uh, yeah, you can turn around and watch him run the bases because he'll hit it a long way. Well, that that is the basis of Stone's discussion about 
pitching inside. He said, if you pitch inside, you are going to hit batters. It, you're not, it doesn't mean that you're trying to hit them, but you're going to hit them because you're pitching inside and every once in a while a fastball is going to tail in. And if you're pitching, you know, that pitch, you're putting it over the inside corner. Yeah, it's going to tail right into the hitter. You're not trying to hit him, but it, it happens. And his whole argument is, is that, you know, if, if you pitch inside and you're successful pitching inside, you're going to hit a lot of batters. And the teams that don't hit a lot of batters are the ones that don't pitch inside. Yeah, and again, it, it doesn't, you have to throw hard uh, to get their attention. You want them, what you don't want them, you're not trying to get them to back up. I think a fan may say, well, you're trying to get them to back off the plate. No, you're not. What you're trying to stop them from doing is leaning over the plate. There's a difference. A major league hitter is not going to be afraid. They're not going to back up if you throw inside. They're going to, they're going to hang right in there. But a, a good hitter, if he believes you're throwing everything on the outside corner or the the outer third of the plate, they will have a tendency to lean over the plate and pick up that pitch. Uh, it, it reduces the hitting zone for them. They, they know if you throw it too far outside, they can take it. Uh, but if you're not throwing inside, if you're not coming in on the, the inner third of the plate at least, they're, they're going to beat you like a rent a mule. I mean, it's it's just <laughs> these guys are so good. You give them an edge like that, and you're not going to stay in the big leagues. Mark, did you see the Little League World Series this week? I saw parts of it, yeah. I was very, very impressed with that South Korean team and their ability to just slam the baseball but that being said boy the new york team that ended up winning it yesterday two to one proved the old axiom that good pitching will be good hitting anytime yeah the thing i am most impressed with with those kids and what's happening is that those kids are outgrowing the dimensions for little league uh, both the pitching mound and the bases and even even the fences. I mean, these kids are 12 years old and they're weighing 175, 180 pounds. I mean, it's unbelievable how, how good they are. But I'm taken by the defense, particularly the infield defense. I mean, these kids are turning double plays like major leaguers when they're 11 and 12 years old. It, it's really amazing to me how good they are, the skill sets they've developed. And you just wonder what's going to happen in 20 or 25 years. I mean, my gosh. You're going to have 200-pound 12-year-olds playing shortstop and hitting the ball 375 feet. Uh, some of the home runs I saw, and I think I saw it more last year than this year, uh, but some of the home runs were just gigantic home runs, you know, 320 feet over a 225-foot fence. It's, it's not even close. And I, geez, I, I think of how big these kids are compared to when I was growing up anyway, and it's 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 kind of amazing. Well, let me ask if you got the same same idea that I did. You know, I, I enjoy watching the foreign teams play. You know, they've got it split up into, into the two divisions. The foreign teams play during the day, and the United States teams play during the night. Um, the foreign teams play a more pure brand of baseball. And what I mean by that is they like to manufacture runs. They'll bunt, they'll hit and run, where the United States team will lay back and wait for the three-run homer. Do, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I might characterize it a little differently. I think the the foreign teams, they've learned baseball to, to a large degree out of a book. 
uh, compared to kids in, in America who have a much longer history to look back on, and they do everything perfectly. You, you look at them when they field a ground ball, they do it perfectly. When they do their crow hop and throw, it's perfect. Uh, everything is done almost like a military r- r- regiment type thing. I mean, it, it's it, it, like you see the, the, the soldiers walk, walking in, in lockstep. That's how these kids play the game. You can see, you can see they've been just coached, coached, coached. And it, it, it works. I mean, they, they're very, very good. And what's happening is they're catching up physically with the Americans, uh, and the Western teams because they're, you know, they, years ago, uh, the Oriental teams, the Asian teams, they, they were, the, the players were much smaller in stature. But that's no longer the case. I mean, these kids can hit, uh, great bat speed and, uh, they, they hang in there on the breaking ball. And they're fun to watch. I enjoy watching them play. Well, there's one thing that they have in common with Major League Baseball, and I'm talking about Little League and Major League Baseball. The umpiring stinks. Um, I realize these guys are volunteer umpires at Little League, but the ball strike calls behind the plate, Mark, were absolutely atrocious. And it's getting to be that way at the major league level. You know, I've said time and time again, it's a good thing that Angel Hernandez and C.V. Buckner were around when Major League Baseball implemented instant replay because it saved their jobs. But you, for the last couple of years, have advocated the little pitch box that Fox uses uh, to show where the pitches are after every pitch. And I know you've said that, you know, in in the upcoming years, you think that That'll do away with the umpires. They'll just do everything via computer, and and it'll be the ball strike calls will be made there. The base base plays, everything will be monitored by a computer, and that's how they'll signify the out calls. I've always thought you were nuts about the ball strike calls, but honestly, Mark, I am starting to agree with you that not so much that maybe we need, you know, that that it's acclimating that way, but I'll tell you one thing. The strike zones of the umpires now and their inability to call a strike a strike, even when it is a strike, are leading baseball down that path. Well, it's so easily fixed, To I saw something. In fact, I meant to cut it out for you, and I didn't. Uh, I, I, I read something uh, either in Sports Illustrated or another magazine I was reading about uh, the ability now of technology that you could you could have – if you go to the plate, uh, what, what are you, five eight five nine? Uh, they could set up a strike zone for you based on your height. And if if, if everybody designs the strike zone, it's going to be above the knee and below the, the armpits. Well, they can do that with a with a laser. Every time a player comes up, the strike zone is there, and you don't need an umpire. You know, if you if you're in that if a pitch comes in that box, you it's a strike. If it's not, it's a ball. End of story. And they can they can adjust it for the height of the player. Uh, there's no argument. I mean, it, it, to me, and then you know your own strike zone, and there's there's no debate about it. So I think eventually that's going to be the case. I don't know why you need them. Uh, I've said this for for years. And what is amazing to me that instant replay has a 50 percent overturn rate. That Isn't means, that amazing? Yeah, it means that these umpires that you pay all this money to are missing half the calls. Well, the ones they're missing are the close calls. I mean, obviously they're close calls, they wouldn't be challenged, which means 
that any you and you and I or anybody could go out on the field if you know anything about baseball, and the other calls are no brainers. Anybody could make. You don't need a professional. You could get Joe off the street, and if the guy's out by five feet at first base, it's easy to call him out. But when fifty percent of the calls are being overturned, these guys are missing these calls. They're supposed to be pros. Now, Dave, over the thousands of plays that have been made over the last 10 years, how many calls do you think these professional major league umpires have missed? Over the thousands? Thousands thousands they've missed. uh, You know, I would put it into percentage, and I would say at least 25%. Yeah, but even you could just use the close calls alone. Correct. Where they've been, been overturned, and it would be thousands of calls they've missed. So if they're not doing the job, why are they there? That argument, it doesn't make any sense anymore given technology, and you could have redundancies in these things. So uh, you'd have you could have strike zones from center field from from each dugout. So you know it would be impossible to miss a ball and a strike, and then there'd be no well, arguments. It is or it isn't. Had they had replay in the World Series. Game one of the 1970 World Series would have been changed forever. That was the infamous, the home plate umpire. What was his name? Ken Burkhardt. They got in the middle of the play? Ken Burkhardt. Ken Burkhardt. I thought Sparky was going to have a coronary in that game. He should have. And, I mean, that could have changed that whole series around. Yeah, it did. Yeah, the one where Elrod Hendricks missed Bernie Car Was a Bernie Carbo fl- sliding into home? That's right. Yeah, Bernie Carbo sliding into home. Ken Burkhart got in the way of it. Elrod Hendricks tagged him with his glove, but the ball was in his throwing hand, which was his right hand. And Ken Burkhart called him out, and they didn't have replay, and they couldn't reverse it. And the 85 World Series would have been. It would have went to St. Louis instead of Kansas City. Yeah, that was that was the, probably the most egregious call in the World Series history uh, for an umpire. I mean, Chase, that was so that was so wrong. And uh, but back to the point of do you need human umpires anymore? No, you don't. You, you just don't. And so I think they're going to uh, work themselves out of jobs. And you might have one or two umpires to make the you know the, the simple call. But again, why do you even need that? Um, I don't understand why you would. Well, and another thing. To Mark is is that the the amount of time that major league managers are taking in the dugout before they decide if they want to ask the umpire to look at a certain play or challenge a play is becoming longer and longer and longer. Um, Paul Molitor tonight, manager of the Twins, um, twice has thought about challenging a play at first base, and they've had to hold up the game waiting for them to wait for their instant replay guy to look at the replay a couple of times up in the booth and then phone it down to the dugout to let them know if it's worth a replay or not. And I thought this was just supposed to be bang, bang, Mark. I mean, it it was not supposed to take very long. They weren't supposed to give them all the time in the world, but it's turned out that they're, they're giving them as much time as they need to decide if they want to challenge or not. Yeah, that's the big change I would make. I would say it has to be instantaneous. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. You take your chance. If you're so convinced it's going to be overturned, then do it right then. 
the umpire has to make a split-second decision, and so do you. And that would take a lot of that away. So I'd give him 10, 15 seconds to make a decision. If you don't, it's it's over. Game game goes on. I absolutely agree with you on that. I mean, that that's one of the things that if they really want to speed up the game of baseball, that's the way to speed up the game of baseball. Mark, another thing that we've turned out to be excellent prognosticators on is, did you hear about the lady in New Jersey that is suing Major League Baseball? Uh, for getting hit? Yes. Yeah. She she was hit uh, by a foul ball it. in 2014. Well, it, it doesn't surprise me. And uh, who was the guy last week, uh, the Phillies player? We talked about him last week. Uh, yes. Who made that that speech about when is Major League Baseball going to protect uh, a, the fans? And uh, it, it's, it scares me every time I see a line drive or a bat. You know, go, a broken bat go into the stands, and that happens. Uh, that happens frequently. So, Major League Baseball is setting themselves up for a huge lawsuit. I can't believe they're not taking some action on that. Well, they they may be forced to, and and uh, that that's one of the things that when you look at Mark, I mean, she she is saying this is a lawsuit that's filed against the Milwaukee Brewers and Major League Baseball. Dana Morelli is suing both after getting hit by a foul ball. Under her eye in 2014, she said the Brewers didn't do enough to protect her from the injury, which caused her to be unable to work full-time until mid-2015. The Brewers declined to comment on the case. And before you sit there, folks, and say she milked it for all it is worth, remember Herb Score and Tony Canigliaro were both hit by a batted ball and a pitched ball in their eye and never returned to be the same. So don't sit there and tell me that this lady got hit by a ball underneath the eye and she could have went to work the next day. No, don't say that. I've been hit in the eye with a line drive, and I know what that's like. And, again, it's certainly accidents are going to happen. Maybe a fly ball would even go into the stands. You can't protect the, protect the fans completely. That's an acceptable risk. But a line drive, I've been at these games, and again, you can hear the ball. Folks, you can hear the ball come off the bat. In some cases, people aren't paying attention. They're eating hot dog or popcorn or on their cell phone or whatever. And I'm so afraid. Every time I see a kid in the stands, I see people bring these newborn babies or babies that look like they're only two or three months old to a Major League Baseball game. I'm thinking, what are you thinking about, parent? Your kid could be killed by a, by a baseball. That's no exaggeration. I saw a guy last year. He was holding, it looked like a two- or three-month-old baby. He caught a line drive with his bare yes. hand right in front of the baby's head. Great catch. It saved the kid's life. But what are the idiot parents thinking about bringing a baby like that to a ball game? Mark, if you, you, you know, when you look at the Little League World Series and the ballpark that it's played at in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, the crowd is completely covered by screen. Now, it's cloth screen, but there's no foul balls that are going to get into the stands. Now, I know a majority of the reason that they do that is, is that they don't have the money for baseballs. They, they reuse the baseballs. It's not like Major League Baseball where a ball hits the dirt, they get rid of it. No, in Little League Baseball, you reuse the baseballs. And that that's the majority of the reason that they've got it. But it's also for safety, too. Let, let, let's call it what it is, and 
it would not take much for Major League Baseball, and I said this last week, the most useless screen in Major League Baseball is the one right behind home plate, over the top of everyone, to the press box. That's the most useless screen in the world. Take that and move it down past the dugouts along the side and save people from from a foul ball going in that way. Well, there's so many answers to it, Dave, that it, it, it's kind of been ridiculous they don't have it. Uh, but they will, and they'll, they'll wait until somebody gets killed. And, oh, yeah, well, we're going we're gonna to fix it now. Uh, and they'll have about a $100 million lawsuit on their hands. But, uh, you know, baseball doesn't do anything very quickly. We'll see, we'll see what happens. A couple of things there before we wrap up tonight's show, Mark. What did Chris Bryant, the Chicago Cubs second-year player, and Stan Musial have in common? They both went five for five twice in the same year and hit two home runs? No. That might be, but that's not what I'm looking for. Well, Chris Bryant <laughs> uh, did that, actually. Okay. Uh, well, Stan Musial and Chris Bryant. Um, I don't know. Stan Musial is the only player to win the Most Valuable Player Award in a season in which he started 30 games in both the infield and outfield. That's according to Stats, LLC. And Bryant could become the second. Bryant has started 79 games at third, 31 games in left, and 11 in right. He's tied for the National League in homers with 35 and second to Washington's Daniel Murphy by only eight points in OPS. And he has got a shot, Mark, at winning the National League MVP in only his second year, and that would he'd be only the second player after Stan Musial to do that. Yeah, the, the Cubs organization is absolutely loaded right now, uh, which gives little hope to the Reds of what they're going to be <laughs> trying to do. I mean, two or three years from now, the Cubs, you know, they could win 120, 125 games. So the only good thing is they probably, uh, as I said, they can't afford to sign everybody, but with Chicago, maybe they can. And normally we wrap up the show with on this day in baseball history. But yesterday, Mark, Sunday, August the 28th, 1967, what happened on that day in baseball history? And I'll give you a hint. It had to do with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Johnny Bench came up. My gosh, are you good. Johnny Bench makes his major league debut at age 19 and goes hitless in three trips to the plate. He went on to collect 2,048 hits in his career in 17 seasons as a Red. But he first came up August 28th in 1967. Nice job. I thought I had you you on that one. Dave, here's the thing about that. I remember that game. I I remember listening to that game in my car, thinking... Who's Johnny Bench? Is this guy going to be that good? Because I went down, and I, I'd seen him in spring training, I think. Uh, my dad took me to Florida, and I, he, he looked like a little guy. He, did, he didn't look like he was going to be a big player, and I wasn't impressed. <laughs> it <tells> you <laughs> my ability to judge talent. <laughs> Are you on the Walt Jockety scouting team? Uh, no, I should be, though, right? I mean, uh, it sounds <laughs> like I, I, I would fit right in. Mark, the Reds are going to take off against the L.A. Angels here in just a few minutes. Dan Straley's getting the start tonight, and then they play the Angels tomorrow and Wednesday. They're off Thursday along with the Indians, but they've got the Cardinals coming in. They played the Cardinals pretty well last time. Yeah, they played the Cardinals better this year, and uh, but the Cardinals are having a down year, too. 
even though it's possible they could still make the playoffs. But uh, be- before we get off the air, Dave, I do want to ask you, do you think we should call the FBI about Linda Jordan stalking us? Uh, because well, you know, you know she did email me back. Types. What? She did email. She emailed me back after that original email, and uh, oh she's got more of an email problem than Hillary Clinton. But that's beside the point. Um, she says her HP laptop is terrible, and I- I'm recommending that she probably go get a new one. All right. Well, you're befriending be. Friending her, so be careful. I mean, you know, she may track you down. You never know. I'll be careful with that. You know, the Indians, they've got Minnesota Tuesday and Wednesday. They're off Thursday again. Then they've got the Miami Marlins coming to town this weekend. We'll talk to you again next Monday night, Mark. Have a good one, Dave. You too. Thanks, Mark. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget, coming up this Friday night, we've got high school football on UltimateSportsTalk.com. That will be from Ridgewood, West Lafayette, Ohio, where the Waynedale Golden Bears will be taking on the Ridgewood Generals. We'll be on the air with the pregame show at 6.30, 7 o'clock with the kickoff, Golden Bear Rewind on the air at 6 o'clock. Mark and I will be back with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show next Monday night here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for being our producer, to those of you who emailed us tonight. But most of all, our thanks to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Until next week, good night, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Let's